Hey everyone, welcome to Fostering Excellence in Agility, the podcast. I'm your host, competitor, coach, and mentor, Megan Foster. I help agility enthusiasts focus on the small details of training and behavior while still having a clear understanding of their big picture goals. Join me as I take you through key elements of dog agility training, competing, and teaching, and how you can take action today to start improving your skills within the sport. Let's get started. Hey y'all, for today's episode, we have special guest, Sarah Strimming, Cogdog Coach, who is a dog behavior consultant and spends her time working with her clients and mentoring colleagues. You may already know her from her own podcast, Cogdog Radio. But if you aren't familiar with Sarah, here is a little bit more about her. Sarah has been in the field of dog behavior for nearly two decades and has competed in dog sports for even longer. Her educational background includes a bachelor's of science degree in psychology from Colorado State University, the living and learning with animals course with Dr. Susan Friedman, a decade of conference attendance, endless reading, online courses, and more. Her extensive hands-on experience with a variety of dogs and their people in training, sports, veterinary, daycare, shelter, and boarding settings is truly what sets her apart from so many others. Sarah shares her life, lucky for me, in the Pacific Northwest with her two Border Collies and Icelandic Sheepdog. Today, Sarah and I talk about how our youngest dogs, Sprint and Rhea, could not be more different from each other, and yet, at the core, our training strategies were fairly similar. And I cannot wait for you all to hear this conversation. We really dove into pretty much as much as we could, and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Megan, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I am excited to have you here. I am used to being on the other side of this situation, so happy to finally have you here. And today, I want us to talk about our two youngest dogs, Sprint and Rhea, who are about six months apart in age, and somehow we are finding them to be turning out into these fabulous little sports dogs. And I want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure, because they are, they literally couldn't be more different. Absolutely not. Um, For those, of you listening that may not know, Sprint is a 19-month-old Border Collie, and Rhea is a 25-ish-month-old uh, Icelandic Sheepdog. Yeah, so in every way possible, they are different. <laughs> I think just that they're both girls is the only thing they have in common. Oh, right. Yes, they do. and they have pointy ears. Yeah. Okay. Pointy, (laughs) pointy eared bitches. That's what they they are. Very, very cute. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So with everything about them, that is so different, but we obviously train together and we train pretty similarly. Mm -hmm. What is the common denominator here? And I think that does kind of start with our goals for these dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So we have different like competitive aspirations for these dogs, but we have this overarching common goal that we'd both like a nice agility dog. And what a nice agility dog is, is one that is really capable in the environments that we need to do agility in. So they're not, they don't require, you know, special treatment or management. Like, you know, nobody wants to be that person who is really sweating the entire time. They're trying to just get their dog through the place that we compete in. Right. So we want them comfortable in that place, but we also want them to be fast, enthusiastic, sporty fun dogs like we want the same things in a general sense from our dogs definitely we want to be able to go to the competitions that are going to be enjoyable and we want them to also enjoy that with us 
And mm-hmm. yeah, the paper goals are probably really different just based on where each of us is in our own competitive journey and also who they are as a dog right. and what is going to be enjoyable for them. That is always going to look different, but I totally agree that nice agility dog <laughs> is the bottom line. None of those paper goals matter if we aren't starting off with that fast, enthusiastic, sporty partner that handles the environment. Yes, for sure. And we started with such different play (laughs) that the fact that we're getting really similar, um, a really similar end structure as far as both the dogs are fast and enthusiastic and both the dogs are really comfortable. And for one of them, one of those things came really easy. And for the other one, the other thing came. (laughs) Exactly. So everything, of course, is a trade-off. And so let's just like dive in. Let's tackle handling the environment. Handling the environment. That's the easy one for Rhea. Yes. And And this was not the easy one for Sprint. Spoiler alert. Easy one for Sprint. Spoiler alert. And gosh, isn't that just, that's how it always goes, right? Almost always. What you're going to have a trade-off here. One of those things is going to be easy and not the other one. Almost always. Exactly. And for Rhea, certainly I, I provided her with an education for navigating those environments, but that education was not hard to give and it was easy for her and it did not involve, you know, it didn't involve me putting too much of my thinking brain on. Right. It was, right. I think could have achieved comfort for Rhea in these environments. Right. Whereas I spent the majority of Sprint's early puppyhood building comfort and skills around the environment. And Mm -hmm. even now, while she can focus more on the sporty things and the agility behaviors, I still find myself needing to shift those scales towards the environment training. Right. You will always be, you know, that pendulum is always going to swing more towards needing to work on the environment stuff versus the sports stuff. The sports stuff for sprint is the easy part and navigating the noise and chaos and hubbub of and and weird things that people do um of an agility environment does not come easy to her and so you will you continue to have to go back to the drawing board on that front whereas i don't have to go back to the drawing board on that front in a, in most cases right with raya it's almost like the again the how they are so different is that the more Rhea learns about being fast and enthusiastic, the environment almost gets easier for her. Mm-hmm. Whereas the more Sprint learns about agility and being fast and enthusiastic, that those environmental pieces can can get easier for her, but they can also get more challenging for her. So, right? and I would like because to the more she wants it. Yeah. Well, because I think that a lot of people listening are going to go, wait, that doesn't make sense because <laughs> my my super high drive dog does better if they are tugging a toy or running agility. And what this comes back to is you and I having a higher standard for what quote unquote better looks like. Right. And you aren't going to simply overface her with a tug toy. You aren't simply going to say, ignore everything, have your blinders on, do agility to her you would like her to acknowledge and know what the environment is and still also be able to compete. And those high arousal feelings, um, if we're going to call them that, or basically just big feelings that she has about sports don't help to put her in a mindset to cope with the environment. And I would say that's generally speaking true across the board. It's just that border collies in general, um, border collies and, and dogs like them are 
I'm just going to say the words, they're easy to exploit because we can say to them, hey, you have, hey, here's this thing that's super, super important to you. Oh, also, by the way, um, you're going to do it in a snake pit. Is that okay? <laughs> exactly. Um, right? Like, I mean, that's just, that's how that is. And there are things that are important enough to me that if you said, oh, but you can only do it um, in a room full of spiders, I'd be like, oh God, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Let me figure that out. Right? Like, because the, those things are important enough to me that I would figure it out. Um, and so we, we do that to them a lot and you're not going to do it to sprint. And that's why you have to keep paying very close attention to what her subtle responses are, um, when you're putting her in those higher arousal thinking states. Exactly. And so everything you just said, and also (laughs) (laughs) always everything that even if she we're completely unaffected by the environment Mm -hmm. for those people that have those dogs. Let's just pretend. Right. The more they want the thing, the harder it is to wait outside the ring. Right. Like sooner that they're. Yeah. Right. Even if they're not, they're not, they don't, they're not concerned. They're not looking around. They're not having, you know, any other feeling other than let me in there. All of that that frustration of not being able to get into the ring is going to leak out into the performance. And so I also have to avoid that in the same way that we are not even allowing Rhea to scream and go crazy and bark and lunge outside the ring. Right. Because we don't want her wasting our energy outside the ring. Right. It's for a different reason, but it's it's like, um, yeah, even if they're not environmentally concerned, the bigger deal the game is to them, the harder it's going to be for them to be relaxed um, ringside. And we want them relaxed ringside for a variety of reasons. Like you said, for Rhea, the reason is I don't want her using up any of her juice because it's limited juice. on screaming and wanting to go in right and then in the case of sprint or like my border collie felix um he his good decisions will be spent like if he if he if he is allowed to crank himself into such a state then it will be hard for me to bring him back to good decision mode yes i spent Smack's entire career managing his outside the ring skills. And Mm -hmm. I always felt like going into some runs, he was already so exhausted from just the mental gymnastics he was having to do outside the ring because he had no truly trained skills that anything I got inside the ring was a little bit of a miracle. Any sort of smart choices that he made were just right. a testament to what a great dog he was. Right. And, and that he could overcome that. And when I got Sprint, I promised myself that I would never do that to myself or a dog ever again. <laughs> so here we are. Uh, so here we are. And you're having to walk the miles of yes. teaching her highly unsexy things like a downstay and loose leash walking. Yeah. That was I would argue are the sexy things, but just people need it. You know, I'm so pleased about it now and obsessed about it now <laughs> that it is very, very sexy in my opinion. Uh, so we of course balanced with these two girls, what we were training. So at any given moment, Uh, If we looked at our training plans, sprints kind of skill card was full of all these outside the ring behaviors and dealing with the environment behaviors. And Rhea's card was filled with all this fun stuff of (laughs) going fast and chasing and getting happy about her reinforcers and things like that. Big energy reinforcement stress scenarios like that. So that's the long skill card for Rhea. Yeah. And, and, but then also 
within each training session, how different that balance is between precision and speed. It's so different. (laughs) We even have the rule that if Rhea is fast, she's not wrong. Exactly. Because that's such a big (laughs) priority in convincing this Icelandic sheepdog that going fast is, is worth it. And that going fast is possible. And that going fast is super cool because that was in our requirement of a nice agility dog. Whereas sprint came knowing how to go fast and that going fast was cool. That is how she got her name. Y'all her name was not sprint when I picked her up at the airport. That was not the name I was going to give her. And then the very next morning I put her down on the ground and she is just running. (laughs) I'm like, what? Well, here here it is. Sprint it is. And that's just who she is. So I never needed to focus on that piece. And that is heavily what we focus on with Rhea. So much so that like Sprint is banned from running with your other dogs and Rhea is like one of Rhea's number one things that I did from the beginning was go chase some border collies and figure out how fast you are. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so it it's it's her entire life and it's their entire life because we don't live in this bubble where they are pet dogs and then we go to the agility field and now they're sport dogs. They are the same dog a hundred percent of the time. And so we have to look for these behaviors that we want in that nice agility dog. We're looking for them everywhere. Yeah. And, and that I, meant well, honestly, that, that's probably like a whole other podcast all in itself. Probably. Um, so we'll just put a pin in that. But yeah, like looking at gosh, everything all the time and thinking about how it relates back to sports, as well as looking at everything in sports and thinking, how does this relate back to life? Yes. And that's really my only point about like Sprint isn't running free with my other dogs in the field at the moment because when she doesn't need to be chasing anything the girl yeah. is running on yeah, her she own knows how to run. yeah and i don't think she has the maturity or the skills to deal with that if she were to start chasing and we'll revisit that when she's capable of having those feelings but i want her to be able to be ringside and not have those chasey feelings when dogs are running so I don't reinforce them. <laughs> yeah. And with Rhea. And totally opposite. Yeah. Well, it, right. We we show her that she can and the situations that she can. And then we also give her the ringside skills of, yeah, but not here. Yes. Always and with everything. There's a time and a place for it. And there's yes. the here, not there. Right. Exactly with everything that we do and with some of them it doesn't ever need to be <laughs> it doesn't need to happen here because it doesn't need to happen ever like it sometimes some behaviors don't benefit us anywhere and so we shape other behaviors in their absence um you know example would be watching other dogs run agility or trying like getting excited about that like Rhea or Sprint would be excited about that. Yes. And have unhelpful feelings about that. Like Rhea's, Rhea might, again, just waste her energy on that. Mm-hmm. And then Sprint, like we're back to that ringside management situation. We're back to not wanting, not needing to, not wanting to do that forever. Not wanting to need that forever. Right. Because it's not useful. <laughs> it's not useful. It's That's not, not useful. useful. In this case, it's a little bit useful for Rhea, but only if it's like, well, if it's well managed, because I do think that if we wanted to, 
if that was the route that you wanted to take, we could just use Rhea watching a dog or two to amp her up sure. before running rather than relying on our training. We could. And that kind of circles back to like, we've, there are so many different strategies that we can employ in training to get the most out of Raya. And something that we actually do is build some anticipation for her by, I will usually train another dog first. Yes. I will usually not have her go first. Here's why I just happen to have, I'm training two dogs actively. So I've got Felix and Raya. Felix is more is closer to a sprint spectrum. Um and he anticipation for him is bad. Waiting his turn puts him in a, a less helpful mental state. Whereas Rhea building some anticipation is good. She brings more energy to the table then. So it comes down to all of these little choices that we make. Um and always just kind of paying attention to, and what was the outcome on this? Rather than like, okay, the rule is Felix goes first, Ray goes second. It doesn't work like that. It's pay right. attention to what the outcome is. Think about what we need today from both of them and go forward. Yeah. And just recently, Rhea did get to train first, but she had a training partner. She had a training friend. Yeah, she had a, <laughs> it was a very cute little double Icelandic day. And they both benefited from having really brief. Yeah, that uh, worked moments. so well. It worked beautifully for them. And it wasn't until we were just talking that I realized that Rayo went first before Felix and she rocked it. Like that was she just totally rocked it. She didn't. And I think that we're at a place now where I pull up to the field and she knows what we're there for. And I don't need to leverage that anticipation with her anymore um, at all. Yeah. And that is but I don't so much it. more sustainable than yeah. relying on the trial environment or dogs running ahead of you to get her right. going. And if you're smart and you're doing what we're doing, like we just said, watching for our outcomes, making adjustments based on what the outcomes are and what the desired outcomes are, then you're actually teaching them a response rather than relying on the environment to provoke a response. Yes, this is um, probably in, in another podcast completely, but it is one say, of these There's things. another rabbit hole that we could really go deep. <laughs> we And we might as well, because I think this is what the people are here for. Yeah. About, I, I always tell my students, I don't want the, exactly what you just said. I don't want the environment or the location or the activity necessarily to produce the condition emotional response or the arousal level or the behaviors i want the routine to inform my dog what's going to happen so that yeah. i can go to a place and maybe sometimes that place is the obedience competition and maybe sometimes that place is the agility competition and maybe sometimes this place is just a hiking spot or I'm teaching here and you're going to be in a crate all day. I'm sorry. There's no reason to get yourself worked up. I don't want them to just get in the car and start having feelings. Right. No. And I want, I personally, I want them to wait until we've like crossed the threshold of the ring and their leash is coming off. And now you can go as crazy as you want to, because now you know exactly where I want it funneled. Yes. And I think um, we can do that strategically again with all of our training. And so that comes down to, oh, and also, by the way, I'm not going to take the leash off unless you are showing me the behavior that I want to see in this particular situation. Yes. So sprint doesn't get to drag you into the ring screaming and then have her leash come off. Correct. 
Um, <laughs> Does Rhea get to drag you into the ring? And no. Also true. Also no. Also not super worthwhile. But it would be a little bit different if it looked like yes. that. I right? I agree completely because um, I really struggled with this with Shrek, my Parson Russell Terrier, because the environment itself didn't produce any sort of heightened arousal level. It was really, really difficult to get him into a space where he was at an optimal working point where he could focus and zone in and be that really, really worky dog that we know he can be. And so circling <laughs> back, you saying that Ray has never tried to drag me into the ring screaming. Right. And I'm going to tell you that if she did, though, I'd still let her run. Like, I wouldn't stop mm-hmm. her. And I would probably, and I'd be excited about it. I'd be like, look at this monster I created. And then yes. for my own, you know, satisfaction and benefit, I would probably then teach her a few things um, and teach her some some additional skills so that that's not necessarily what she was doing. Um, mostly because again, they need to be in sports the same that they are in life. And that's not a behavior I want to see in her life. Right. So therefore it's not one that I would probably lay a lot of reinforcement in for sports. But, um, if she did that, I would actually be excited that we did that. Yes. Because so this is, this is really like the point of today, I think is the timeline that they are on and when they get those skills. So sprint came out of the gate. She's running, she's going fast. We know that she's going to be, we've got fast and enthusiastic and sporty. We got that for free based on genetics and breeding. Got it. Right. So she had those, for lack of a better word, those control behaviors, those self-regulating behaviors added to her scorecard early, early, early before she even had those big feelings about what agility could be. Right. But it would have been pointless for you to start those things with Rhea. Absolutely. Before she had ideas about agility. Absolutely. The first thing I want her to know is this agility thing is really good stuff. It rocks for me. Yeah. And and it's always going to be fun for you. It is a guaranteed good time. Like those are the things that I want her to know first. We are sure Sprint will feel that way about agility. You've like, there's very little doubt about that when you buy a dog like her. Yes. (laughs) That's not going to be the question. And therefore you may as well start laying your money in the bank for those skills that you can pretty much guarantee are going to be harder for her, like loose leash walking to the start line. Um, That's just simply smart to do. And so what if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I don't know because my puppy's of unknown origin or maybe it's kind of a 50-50 situation. I have no idea. That's where you are keeping everything in balance all the time. So that's where, you know, we could make really good guesses about what Sprint and Rhea would grow up to be like, but nobody knows. So you're still always observing and responding. You're still always saying, you know, are you really hot for this game now? Okay, you are. Okay, so now I'm going to respond this way. Um, And honestly, Rhea continues to hit different speed levels and she continues to um show up with more excitement and enthusiasm like basically every time we go train and so we continue to adjust based on that and sprint also continues to prove that she she continues to show us what environmental pressures are going to be hard for her and which ones are surprisingly going to be easy And we just, we just keep adjusting. Yeah. And they're going to both even out at the, at their version of nice agility dog for us. 
Yeah. And even like little things um, like our start line. Mm. When did we start training Rhea's start line? I mean, does she have one yet? Can we? I, well, I, I'm not sure. Good point. <laughs> she wasn't um, going to so, out me. She wasn't going to say, for instance, Rhea doesn't even have one. <laughs> I think Sprint started learning stay like the day I brought her home and uh, <laughs> or stillness very early on. And Rhea, we are very loosely just now starting to talk about. Yeah, like I did your foundation stay versus go. Yes. Process. And, right. So that's just cue discrimination of your reinforcers stay put on the station versus move off the station. So that's kind of what she's got. And um, still, if I use a station, if I use a cable board or something on the line, I can get a more, you know, she's got kind of, that's kind of the um, stimulus that prompts the stay response for her better than other stuff. So I'm actively building a start line stay now. I have always trained it when I needed it. Yes. But with my border collies, I always needed it sooner than this. Right. And this is, this is the question. This is the, well, how do I know? And when I'm building a program for someone, I tend to, start with all of the same essential skills and core agility foundations. And then we decide what's next based on how the dog feels about those foundations. So if, if as a six month old puppy staying put was very easy for Rhea, so we're not going to put any more time into that because it's our, it's easy for her, which means the speed stuff is probably more difficult. And so that's where we need to put our focus and put our energy into building the speed. And then, you know, check again. Is this still really easy for you? Yeah. Okay. And revisiting those things as they're needed, just like you said. But it's not just do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And now you have a dog that trots around but knows everything. Right. There is no, um, listen, you (laughs) and I, more than anybody, wish there was a perfect formula. Because you, for agility specifically, would have already sold it and would be rich and (laughs) not doing any of this. I would love to give everyone just a straightforward (laughs) roadmap. I would love that too for a lot of different routes in the behavior realm. It doesn't exist. And the reason is there's too much nuance. There are too many moving parts. You are still training a, you're still teaching and educating a living, breathing creature with a brain and with desires and thoughts. And you are also a living, breathing creature with a brain with desires and thoughts. And so bringing those two things together, there will always be lots of different forks in the road that can't be necessarily anticipated. What can be what can be done about it is recognizing when you're at a fork rather than just staying on the well-beaten path. So when you see that you're at a fork, so like if if Rhea were in um an agility training program where I don't know, it was pretty, you know, where dogs were being like led over equipment on a leash and then given a cookie, right? Like stuff like that. Like there are still these classes that exist, um, which, you know what, we all like maybe got into agility in one of those classes. So like no shade thrown to these very pet owner friendly, nice agility classes. If she were my first dog and that's the kind of class we were in, there's the the end product could not be the same as the one that I'm getting right now. That's correct. And that's okay when like all you know is the well-worn path in front of you that somebody is right. telling you the right one. When you are able to think critically and look critically at the things that you're getting and then make different choices is when you can get the results that you're really, really interested in. 
And that's the beauty of you and I training together is that if I see something, if I see a fork in that road and I see something maybe going a way that I don't want it to go, you and I can discuss it and figure out how to get back on the right path. And that's true for Sprint and true for Rhea. Correct. So then we do have those situations. And I know that agility instructors are listening. So there is always some baseline formula. I have my baseline outline of what I'm going to teach and which weeks I'm going to teach it. Beyond that kind of first couple of weeks, it never goes that each dog is on the same path at the same pace. Right. I maybe get two easy weeks where everyone's doing about the same thing. And then I immediately have to branch out and account for the different schedules that these people have outside of class, the different experience levels of those handlers, the different access to equipment that they have at home, and then the different dogs. So everyone is doing the same things, but they're all doing a different variation of those same things. And it's up to the instructor to tweak that formula accordingly. Yes. And when, you know, back in the day, pre, was it, I feel like it was pre-COVID that. um, That's now back in the day. That's, I'm going to say, right. You were like, where's she going with this? Um, Back in the day was not an appropriate way to start this sentence, but pre-COVID. I understand. It just feels like it was 100%. Yeah, well, it feels like it was a long time ago. Um, I was in some kind of group class situation with you, with Felix. And that was absolutely true. You had the lesson plan for the day. But, like, what Felix was doing and what the Whippet was doing were always really different. And I even think there might have been, like, an Afghan because you were the Afghan yes. hound person. Yes. Um, um, yeah, that class. Official Afghan Felix, hound trainer. Whippet, Afghan. Right. Uh, right. Speaks or so, like, your classes. But, yeah. But, like, Felix was, and, and and the same thing can happen today. Like, Raya and Sprint can both work on their running dog walk. This is actually a great example. Yes. I'm glad Raya we're and Sprint here. on the same day, on any given training day when we meet up, both of them are doing their freaking dog walk because it is the project that never ends, right? And mm-hmm. and it's not for fun. So <laughs> um, they can both work on their dog walk and it'll look so different. And we, but like, yes, those bones are the same. The bones of, I want you to hit this target. I want you to do it as fast as you can. And I want you to do it reliably regardless of what else I'm asking you to do. Like those bones are the same and the foundation was the same. Yes. But what happened is never once did we sit down and go, you know, Sprint just doesn't have enough comfort running across the boards. So we're going to need to just let her run. (laughs) No criteria. (laughs) No criteria. Like that never happened with Sprint. No. That that, for a while. Exactly. We took the target off. We And it wasn't, I'm going to say it wasn't no criteria. It was the criteria. The criterion we care about is your fast today. Yes. That is true. We did not focus on precision, uh, whereas every session of Sprint's running dog work training, the only focus is precision. Because why? Because she's bringing speed to the table to every single session. You don't ever need to swing the pendulum towards speed because that's the that's there's a magnet over there that the pendulum right. is stuck to. Like you can't. Yes. You are prying the pendulum off of that magnet and trying to bring it towards the the, the precision side. And that is, you know, with Ray, it's more of a true pendulum. Yes, I agree. And we see that a lot with her, that when we do focus on speed for a little bit too long, we do lose it. Yep, we lose our And we have to ask ourselves okay, how are we going to start swinging back towards precision without losing right. this speed? Yeah, because speed. if we just swing it back, 
we are going to lose, lose everything. It's going to wind up swinging back and forth and we're never going to hum in the middle, which is exactly, exactly. what we're doing. And what's fascinating for me that's happened with Raya, and this again comes back to, and I think this is probably even another podcast, but mm-hmm. um, the those high energy reinforcement strategies and how what we've done is that we didn't utilize the preferred reinforcement strategy for this behavior for me and you. And I think like a lot of people is using a food robot. Mm -hmm. Um, So using a manner's mind or something like that. That's what I want to use to train this behavior. And Rhea would only ever trot up to it and then slow to a walk and then eat it. And that's not, that's not going to work for us. Like I, that, that's not fast enough. That is, too far on the precision side but the cool thing is that we swung our pendulum over to the speed side and now she's going much faster to the manners minder yes in the dog walk context because she has learned that the dog walk is a fun thing to do fast and so then how cool that we can swing back and forth in such a way that even reinforcement strategies that we thought were not going to produce the right behavior for us still maintain the right behavior for us because we taught that behavior with a reinforcement strategy that did produce that behavior like throwing a toy. Oh, my word. Okay. So it, this is a chicken <laughs> of the egg situation. Is it not? Like, yes, yes. <laughs> Such a chicken of the egg situation. Yes, because she did come with some really, like when she came to agility and she was like really, really ready to go beyond foundations and like really start training agility, she had clear reinforcer skills and she had a clear hierarchy of, I like this type of food better than this type of food. And I like this toy better than this. Like it was very very clear and her rules were very black and white about those things and her behavior surrounding reinforcement acquisition was pretty even across the board like we knew what we were going to get when we used the ball we knew what we were going to get when we used duck jerky we knew what we were going to get when you use zee peak all of those things i bear i could have written yes yes, written it all out yes we can't write that anymore no she is more even across the board For whatever you have, because know, of because predictability, yes. of and so it's like consistency of clarity of ooh, I like moving my body. Like it's all what came first. Sarah did her. Was it her? Would you say that she was ridiculously food motivated or ridiculously toy motivated? Absolutely and not. No, but like somehow you got there because somehow she, she is. is now. Yes. And- I would never tell somebody that agility will teach their dogs to like food better. <laughs> but it wasn't. I mean, it would have been anything. However. Or, or toys better. And right. it did. I don't even think it did. I think it's that. And, you know, I do talk about this a lot because people ask me constantly. And one of my, like, it, it is a question that irritates me, which is why, which I'm working on it. Like, what that means <laughs> is that. What that means is that I need to understand better the motivation for people asking the question and have more empathy. But anyway, um, the question is, what value food do you use for this? Yes. Like whatever. You see, it irritates you too. I just heard it in your voice. Um, <laughs> like whatever I have in my car because I can't be responsible. For, I literally for... can't be responsible for perishables. And also like when I do, it does not go well. And also like winter is the only time I can. I have, and you've seen me, I have prepped hierarchies of food for Rhea. Yes. And, and I have thought about this extensively. I use hierarchies for of reinforcement really intentionally all the time. And also, I really rely on my dogs working for whatever it happens to be that I have. And that comes through... This really consistent me, me keeping my promise that whatever this is, it will be great for you. If you and I are doing a thing together, I promise it will be great for you. And exactly enough time of me keeping that promise. Rhea shows up and she's like, you didn't even have like you just had some random 
cookies that fit in the manners minder because that's one of the problems with the manners minder is that right. if your dog gets picky, you're a little yeah. bit screwed. Um, she was fine with it. She was like, okay, yeah. yeah. Sure. Okay, I'll do this. And she's freaking running to yeah. the robot. Which she's she connecting those two pieces. Do. Right. She doesn't yeah. have that. She didn't come with that. Far from it. She wasn't scared of it like most of my border collies are when they first see it. Um, oh, but I, I thanked my lucky stars. This friend was okay. With it. I yeah, that's you can just put that on the short list of easy stuff um, that you had. Yes. Friend, um, but like the first time she saw it, the first time she learned it, I've got videos of her as a tiny baby walking up to it and crunching a kibble out of it and being like, okay, but like mm-hmm. nothing, it's not exciting. It's not great. Um, we had better speed running to a dish than the manners minor. So we used that, but it's not super practical um, for a variety of reasons because for precision, <laughs> for precision, it's not super practical. Um, it also, she was starting to target you because you would act as the robot when we used a dish. Yes. And that's, that's an issue. So, you know, there were, there were things with it, but what's fascinating here is that, I think I could pull up and I have to the field and have like a whatever toy and a whatever treat. And I would still get the same speed that I used to need to like have Costco rotisserie chicken for. Right. And latex squeaky pigs were the only toy that was going to produce like (laughs) speed and like. Or chicken heads, uh, freeze dried chicken heads. We have given her freeze dried chicken head. Yes. Before. And don't be alarmed if you see her carrying one around a trial. Right. In the spring. So, so <laughs> I, I think it's just been amazing watching how that has changed for her. Mm-hmm. Because we've also seen pretty similar changes in Sprint. Not that we ever were worried about it. Because she was always gung-ho for toys. She likes food. But I have I've seen a little bit of the same thing that her intensity for food and training has increased. She yes. can swap between food and toys. Sure can energy like at any point in the session, and she can do both as long as I am paying attention and making sure that she is swallowing the food, <laughs> even though that there is more running and more toy biting to be had. Still have to eat the food if I give it to you because yeah. I would lose it. If I, you know, so there's the, (laughs) the balance here is that I don't think we're going to lose Raya's ability to eat. Right. No. But I could lose Sprint's ability to eat if I'm not paying attention. But I could lose Raya's toy, toy skills and and do. So like we did a seminar recently, you and I, with both of them, it was both of their first seminars. Um. And I used a toy with Rhea really sparingly, and we had discussed it ahead of time. And the plan was actually not to use it at all. Right. Uh, there was some big concerns that, you know, a different, it was a new place. It was a dirty right. arena. Some big concerns that the toy would not be desirable in those conditions. Lots of concerns that the toy would not be desirable. And I don't want to practice. There are two things I don't want to practice. One is obviously um, poor toy skills or kind of lack of toy skills. I don't want to practice that. But I also don't want to practice me delivering a reinforcer to her that isn't that doesn't hold up that promise of this will be great for you. Yeah. And that's the big deal to me is that I hate it when I give her something and I and she has disappointment because she wanted something else. Mm-hmm. Um but she was like jumping up and biting my arm and sleeve. And I was like, okay, you can bite something else. <laughs> so I. Right. So I she was showing point. you that she wanted she to bite and tug. Saying tugging would be, would work for her right now. So I used a toy. I still used it really carefully and sparingly because I know that I don't have, you know, our turns with the instructor were like eight or nine minutes long. and. I know that I don't have eight or nine minutes of work for a toy with Raya. Right. And coming up and coming down, that is exhausting, right? You run for a little bit and then you're rewarding and then you're going to have a little quick chat. So should the dog stay up? Should the dog come back down? 
Right. That's not an easy skill for them and to bring themselves up and bring themselves down over and over again in a nine minute period. Right. You know, so you're a competition is so much easier in comparison. Oh gosh. So much easier. So much easier. And I think you know, with Ray, because the other thing we talked about was I might ask for shorter turns. Like it just depends on what Ray is looking like. Mm-hmm. One of the big wins of that day is that I didn't need shorter turns. That's right. Raya was there and was working and was into the game. And there was a lot going on. There was like a barn hunt class adjacent. Oh my gosh. It was so loud. There were dogs screaming about rats. It was like, alarming right to me. Next, like <laughs> There was just a ring gate like between us. Yeah. There, you know, there's people, there's dogs, like there's horses not that far away, which is a thing for Raya. Like, right. It was getting dark outside. I, I mean, sprints. Like, I don't train in the dark. I'm usually in bed by so that time. There's so much going like, on. <laughs> and the girl hung out for the yeah. eight or nine minute turns each time and gave me a couple reps of doing it for a toy. And, like, I mean, but it's paying attention to what are you giving me? What are you capable of? And not asking for more than that. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Easy. No big deal. <laughs> Okay, that was complete sarcasm. I, we are not we are not painting this in an easy light. We 100% know how difficult it is to to do everything that we're talking about today. And just in the interest of full disclosure here, you and I do get it right a lot of the time, especially when we talk about it during you and I both had one turn at the seminar that we did not like. That's correct. (laughs) We both had one turn that we made mistakes and we didn't like it. Yeah. And the brilliance of that is that then we discuss, we both wanted to cry in our cars and leave, but we didn't. We discussed. That was when number one is that we stuck it out. We discussed All that therapy it. is really paying off. We made a plan for the next round and we had better turns after that. And so we're not saying we get it right all the time. We're saying when we get no. it wrong, recognize that we got it wrong rather than it'd be really easy to just make a bunch of excuses and be mm-hmm. like, well, she's a baby dog. This is hard. I was just about to say that. <laughs> They're like, babies. They're just babies. This is so hard. No, actually, it is hard. It is hard, and they're not babies. And they're well trained. But this is hard, and I can make better choices for her on my next turn. That's on me. Yes, all the time. And if I just go, well, she's a baby. That excuses me from making those better choices. And that's That's why that's not a phrase you're going to hear me say. Same. They are young but they are well-prepared and they will continue to be prepared so that they can show up in the variety of situations that we will ask them to show up in and they will nail it. And if they don't, that tells us where we will be focusing our next set of preparations. And That's just, I think that's it is like, you're not going to nail it every time. Nope. Plenty of training sessions where we go, well, that was a terrible idea. Why did we do that? (laughs) Plenty of training sessions that were like, okay, so should we just go drink? Because. Right. So that did not not go how (laughs) I anticipated it at all. And now I feel like I know nothing about dog training. And, you know, the next time we train, we're like, yes. We are still in the game. We got this. All right. Yeah. Feeling yeah. smart this, today. This is really, I think it's important and valuable to note that like, this is high stakes for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> this is really high stakes for both of us. Neither of us do this quote unquote for fun. <laughs> right. We want and to be like, competitive. Both- I want like- to do well. And I also want Sarah to do well. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I want you to do well. Right. And it's, so it's really high stakes across the board. And it's really important then that we are 
you know, that's why so much care and discussion has gone into all of this because we recognize that there's just, there's so much at stake here and that we can be successful. We aren't going to be successful if we are not paying attention to all the variables, letting the pendulum swing when it needs to, recognizing when it has done so, and trying to bring it back to the other side. Yes. And even though we've spent, I don't know how long, comparing Rhea to Sprint, I hope that it was not lost, that there was not a comparison of they're six months apart, but they're at the same point. Or because I feel like agility culture pushes us in that direction. And that if we weren't good friends, there might be some angst about that. Yeah, sure. Like, um, or that they're both like Rhea is two sprints going to be two before she debuts, like how much older they are than the typical dog that's debuting in competition that that those feelings of comparison aren't relevant because Raya is Raya and Raya with Sarah is Raya with Sarah and Sprint is Sprint and Sprint with Megan is Sprint with Megan. End of. Yeah, because I, yeah, I mean, I hear, I am asked every time I go to a trial if Raya's running and when she's running. <laughs> yes. Um, and you are too. Where where's Sprint? When is Sprint? Aren't you running her? Um, <laughs> How old is she? <laughs> How old is she? Um, and the truth is that they are they will be well prepared. And the value here is that I don't enter a dog that's not extremely perfect prepared, very well prepared, right? Um, you I know, think and that's I- the whole thing with their timeline and training on the right. dog's timeline is that we're not asking them to do anything that they're not prepared to do. Right. If Raya says, if if we had bust out the manners minder for the dog walk the other day and Raya had started walking down that plank, we would have said, all right, well, that's not happening today. Right. You're not ready for that. Okay. Not we ready tried for that. It. Exactly. It's all right. It, we're not quite there yet. We need to put a little bit more money in the speed bank so that the next time we offer you this manners minder, you are running to it. Yeah. And like she's showed us that if the course is made of contact equipment and tunnels, she's going to give us all the speed she's got. Yeah. And that's an jumps, excellent point. Yeah. Bumps are harder for her. And so what are we doing? We're now saying, okay, you're ready now to be asked to do more jumping between those obstacles that you think are a little more fun. Yes. And, but we needed those obstacles that she does run through and run over. You have to have have some easy obstacles. You have to have easy wins. Um, And it's not, I think people only think of the reinforcement procedure as the easy win. Like, okay, do all the hard things. Here's your payment. Right. You got to have parts of your job that feel easy to you. If your entire job feels way too hard, it doesn't matter what that paycheck is. Especially when the end goal is competition, the payout for a competition run is never truly going to so delayed it's not reinforcing the exactly. run. Exactly. It's yeah. not it's never really going to impact their performance in that way. You might get a little bit of anticipation where they run really fast for the last few obstacles. But relying solely on that, that's probably where it's going to end. So there does need to be obstacles that they right. have more desire for, or they're just able to run more on them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and using them, we've even started to layer it in using it intentionally in training of like. Rhea gives us really fast weave pulls. She gets some reps of a straight tunnel. Yeah. And she's getting fed for everything she's doing. 
when she gives me her fastest pulls, she gets a break from the poles and she gets to go do tunnels. That's right. And that's layering in the eventual reinforcement for each obstacle is going to be the obstacle that you just did. And so recognizing which obstacles are mentally or physically taxing for your dog and making sure that they, that they have easy obstacles to do. So like she didn't know what an A-frame was. Now she knows what it is. <laughs> thinks it's the best thing in the world. She sure and does. We're going to oh, use it's, that. It's funny how much she loves it. And we're going to use that. We're, we are using it. Yeah, exactly. We're using it to transfer value to the things that she finds hard. And what that looks like in sprints world is that we're using the easy things for her, which is running to mm. reinforce the hard things like start line stays or collection or very precise movements on the dog walk target for tighter right. turns, things like that, that it's not just food and toys. Everything is so much more complex than that. Yeah. And, and knowing you know, yeah, we're still using food and toys for everything. But knowing that reinforcement is just so much more multi-layered than, and then she got a cookie for that. Yeah. Everything and that else is going to be another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because. Excellent. <laughs> we have four more to do. Yeah, for sure. So I think that, <laughs> I mean, yes, we. We have, we, God knows we have enough to talk about you and I, but, um, it's, it's just this, it can be this really fun, interesting, um, project to say, this is what I want. This is what I'm getting. And this is how I'm going to adjust based on what's happening in front of me to get there versus like sprint and Raya in the exact same program would not both turn out. In fact, neither of them probably would turn out. No, because Raya would be trotting and Sprint would I be a drooling hot mess on the <laughs> yeah. floor, like just melted. And I know what it looks like and it's not great. I don't even want to think about it. So much trauma. <laughs> um, yeah. It, okay. So the, the other's program is not right for, for the one and a status quo program that we doesn't been, serve anyone could take. Yeah. That we could take from any online course and not adjust it based on what's going on. Wouldn't serve either of them either. Right. Everything has to be adjusted. You take your baseline recipe and then you have to adjust the ingredients based on what you have on hand, what type of equipment you have, all those things. If you like an analogy. Right. <laughs> Luckily, I don't think we needed analogies too much today. <laughs> but okay, I it. We we, I, I, it. we we did a. I think we did a good job mm -hmm. of breaking down who these two dogs are, and I do think that they're pretty representative of the sport. They are. You if could we had to split the sport world into two buckets these are your buckets these are the buckets the right bucket and the sprint bucket and yeah we pull tools from the same toolbox but different things land in different buckets <laughs> yes we're throwing tools in buckets <laughs> we're making things okay we should stop because the analogies have started and I, I think we get it. I think we get it. Okay. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me today and doing our favorite thing, which is talk about our lovely little girls. It was my pleasure. If you are not already following Sarah online, you can find all of the relevant information on her website at thecognitivecanine.com. Sarah offers online classes, an online membership program, and 
a wide variety of free resources as well, including her blog and podcast. And she is active on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All of these links will be in the show notes. So if you are not already subscribed in all of the places, please check out those links and give Sarah a follow. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there are several ways you can leave me positive reinforcement. One, leave me a five-star review. Two, share with your fellow agility nerds. Or three, share your thoughts with me on social media. Be sure to follow at FX Agility on Facebook or Instagram.